You know what the difference is between you and me, Violet? No. Me neither. Starting up. Welcome to the very first official episode of Grumpy Octopus Productions Presents Wachowski Watch. And for our very first episode, uh, we are going to be discussing the Wachowski Siblings directorial debut, Bound. Bound. <laughs> yes. My name's Wiki. My name's Camden. And we are giving fair warning. This podcast is going to have spoilers because we are working under the assumption that anybody who's listening to this has already seen the film. Also, another heads up, this is going to be an explicit podcast just because the Wachowskis deal with mature themes and content. So, fair warning for everybody on that. Um, If you guys haven't seen the film, pause this, go do it now. It's going to rock your world. Then come on back and you can hear us talk about it. Go do it. If you have already seen it, then we're just going to jump right in and give everybody just a quick summary about the movie. Do you want to okay, yeah. go first? Bound, the debut movie mm-hmm. by the Wachowskis. It was released in 1996, uh, and it was actually made as a sort of a, a proof that the Wachowskis could make a good action-packed movie with a very minimal budget. Yes. They'd never directed uh, it. So the studio before. would give them money to make The Matrix later. I also was reading somewhere that I heard that um, Joel Silverstein. Joel Silver? Joel Silver? God. Yeah. Really smart. Uh, he said that, but then Lana Wachowski said that was wrong. Well. We just don't know. It's the, the commonly stated yes, story. assumed that essentially this is like an audition piece for The Matrix. Supposedly, that is they, they tried to get the Matrix made, and they were told that was too big of a project, mm-hmm. uh, so they did this instead, uh, and it worked. Yes. This is all wrong, possibly, I'm learning, but uh, <laughs> supposedly it worked because it was critically acclaimed, and the studio liked it, and don't actually know what studio that would be. It's, uh, <laughs> I guess Warner Brothers did the Matrix, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. So, we could check that, but this is what they ended up with as their first film mm-hmm. and it is to say a noir yeah. type heist movie yes starring you can you can do that if you want sure so it stars uh, jennifer tilly she plays violet and gina gershon who plays corky and joey pants no no we have to we have, sorry we have to introduce him properly joe, first joe pantaleano yes joey pants as uh he is known as Joey Pants, guys. We're not yes. making this up. We will continue it's from here thing. on to call him Joey Pants. As, uh, as Caesar. Yes. He plays Caesar. Yeah. Those are the, the main people. There yes. are some others, but those are our important three. So essentially, really, really quick summary. Corky, played by Gina, has just got out of jail. She's been in jail for five years for stealing, essentially. And she's gotten back, and her first job back out in the real world is to fix up this apartment building for a guy who I'm assuming is somehow associated with the mob. I think so, yes. So when she gets to the apartment, she meets her, the apartment neighbors, who are Violet, Violet played by Jennifer. Caesar. Yes. yes. Violet's Jennifer Tilly. Caesar is our very own Joey Pants. And they are a couple, even though Violet is actually a lesbian. And he works for the Mafia as well. So long This is all in Chicago. Yes. The Wachowskis yes. live Which, in yes. Chicago. Many Wachowski products yes. in Chicago. So what ends up happening is Violet and Quirky end up becoming lovers, even though they can't seem to quite trust one another. Violet tells Quirky she wants to get out of the Mafia. And there's been a guy who tried to get out that stole two million dollars and unfortunately he was caught and Caesar and his other mafia fellow uh, people have caught him and now the money is in their apartment so Corky and Violet decide to essentially plan this heist where they steal the money and they frame Caesar and they get away it doesn't all go well it does not all go well there are many complications yes 
We don't need to go into all those. No, I don't think. but long story uh, but short. But yes, they end up successful at the end. With a, a few uh, hiccups. Uh, hiccups, to say the least. <laughs> so that is a very, very brief summary. And then, you know, when we talk about the other characters in the film, we'll be sure to introduce them properly in our discussion. Yes, yes. Yes. But now, you've, you've seen it, listener. Yes, you have, Or you listeners. should have. You should know. You should know what goes down. I mean, you can listen if you haven't. Yeah. I'm not sure just, why you would want to. No, it would just go watch it. It's a really awesome movie, It is actually. pretty great. It's one of their highest, like, critically acclaimed. Yes, yes. Uh, if you don't even like the Wachowski's other movies, you might like, like this one. I feel like you're like this. Because it really yeah. is different in many ways. But fair warning, there is a lot of violence and sex, as with most of their films, actually. You don't want that. Yeah, so just, like, if there are kids about, casually put them uh, in a different room. So, that was our really coherent, quick summary. I figured we could just ask each other when we first became aware of the film, and then the first time we saw it, sure. and our initial reactions, and then I we can go into deep dive discussion. Okay, go for it. I saw Bound in a college class, because it is a very intellectual movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I had seen, I believe, just the Matrix trilogy, and I had seen Cloud Atlas and V for Vendetta. So I had seen a few Wachowski movies, but not a lot. And I saw Bound then, a few years ago. And uh, it was part of what compelled me to want to make sure I saw all of their work and fell in the gaps, because I was just impressed by how good it was even when they didn't really have any money a lot of people i think might might assume that's one of the big pluses of most of their movies is Mm -hmm. that they they put a lot of uh, money on screen and everything looks really nice and i think bound really showed me that they're just very solid filmmakers in sort of foundational important ways you know just they can they can do a tight efficient little movie when they want to though they don't usually. And so I really liked it the first time I saw it. And uh, I think I've seen it four or five times now. And I think that I showed it to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's right. Yes. I had never heard of Bound. I didn't really know much about the Wachowskis. Though surprisingly, by the time I got around to watching the movie for the first time, I had seen almost all their movies. That's true. Like you're, I, you're the speed racer. I am the speed one. racer yeah. one. Yeah, I'd already seen uh, The Matrix Trilogy, already seen V for Vendetta, and Speed Racer, and then Cloud Atlas, uh, Jupiter Sending hadn't come out yet, or Sense8. Yeah, so I didn't realize that The Matrix wasn't their first, which is silly, because obviously that is a incredible undertaking for yeah. a debut. And yet they were ambitious enough that I believe they wanted to do it as their first. Yeah. Well, it's sort of been left behind, you know, bound, partially because it's so different. Like a lot of the people that did do remember it just think of it as uh, the one before they went off the rails, essentially. There there are not as many people who just love all of their movies and also know and love Bound. It's a bit of a different audience sometimes, I think, of people who may have been disappointed by some of their later work, partially because of what they liked about Bound that isn't always present you know yeah it's grounded yeah it's their most (laughs) contained story for sure and it's not to say that it doesn't lack ambition it totally does it's just it's a nice contained i remember the first time i saw it i kind of just like with the sets even though it's like beautifully shot and very cinematic i kept thinking wow this is almost like a play there's just almost all takes place yeah there's very distinct acts and like this incident leads to this incident and it's really cool because the first time I watched it, I was like, wow, these are awesome characters, especially the female roles. They're incredible. And the more I watch it, the more I'm like, man, A, the casting's like spot on and everybody seems to be acting in the same film. Yes. You know what I mean? Sometimes and they're not. Sometimes sometimes they're not in Wachowski movies, but these ones, I think all the actors, they're all on the same page. And it's, I kept reminding myself like, oh, this is actually their debut because it has a very strong sense of direction and visuals and storytelling that usually doesn't come with debut directors. They had a a very strong vision, and I think that's something that's carried over in all their work. So yeah, very pleased. What What do we do next? What's the plan? We could talk about Joey Pants for the rest of the episode, or we could just kind of break down observations about it. 
overall. I know you wanted to talk about kind of noir conventions and how I think this it would also be good to talk it. about uh, what exactly makes it different, but also what about it is very distinctly a Wachowski movie. Yeah, let's go because for Because it still has a lot of qualities that are recognizable. I mean, for one, there's just the shot composition, the framing, all the choices about how to film that are frequently very good mm-hmm. in all their films you always feel like they thought very hard about yes. how to do things even if it doesn't work it feels like they didn't have asset you know no <laughs> everything there's a lot of intent with all the framing everything that's in the frame you can tell they've they've thought it through and planned yeah. it out even if we don't catch it or see it it's kind of Everything within the frame is and there for a reason. It's almost more concentrated and bound because yes. it feels like they knew they had to get it right. You know, yeah. this is their first movie and scenes eh, that that don't really need that level of attention to detail still get it. Like they're trying to show what they can do even yeah. in the most it's kind mundane. Yeah, showing off, but it doesn't take away from the film. There are there are definitely a few shots where you know you can tell they were. <laughs> Just like, uh, this is very be the happy money about shot. it. I mean, you know, I love the um, yes. shot of a uh, frame. Yeah. So at this point, painting movie, or something, and it gets uh, shattered. Yes, it's when uh, Caesar starts to lose it, and he's threatening Johnny, who is Gino's son, Gino's general mob boss, because yeah. he thinks he's taken the two million and is trying to frame them. And essentially, he shoots. Shoots the mob boss. Yeah. And he gets shot back at, and you see the bullet. Go behind uh, him and yeah, hit shatter up. Just the way they focus on that, and instead of directly focusing on him, you know, he's yeah. sort of off to the side. Is really cool. just a very cool visual moment. And I think. Yeah, yeah, I also mentioned this to you when pretty much. So what happens is, um, when the mafia essentially gets the two million back in the apartment, and that's when Borky and Violet decide, hey, we're gonna actually steal the money. There's this whole sequence of the build up to. Caesar and Violet meeting oh, yes, with the mob yes. to exchange the money. And it's just really well shot. <laughs> and there's a lot of, I don't know, I don't know. I might oh, yeah, be I'll talk about that, that in a second because uh, that was part of my feeling about it being a very Wachowski thing to yes. do. But I also just wanted to say uh, they do a lot of uh, stuff with their visuals where, you know, I, I think ideally it's good for your movie to be very pretty. But it's also good for there to be a reason for the choices you're making. And I can't, you know, I can't always speak to what those reasons are for various shots. Some of them do just look good. And I think that's one of the things I like about the Wachowskis is they do think very hard about it. But also they just like their movies to have moments, mm-hmm. uh, images that, that stand out. So, you know, the other one I really like is, is C- Cesar. Caesar, <laughs> Cesar, the mob boss calls Joey him. Pants. Or Ch- Chesare, I think is what he says. Yes. Yes, Joey Pants. When he is shot, killed at the end of the movie. Oh, spoilers. Spoilers, guys. It happens while he's standing on a bunch of overflowing white paint on the floor. And his blood mixes with the paint, and it's red and white, and it's very striking. I don't know why exactly, you know. I can't justify why that was how that shot needed to be, but... It looks really good. <laughs> There's, it's funny you mentioned that kind of triggered something. There's a lot of specific colors in this movie. That, That's true. Um, like, especially red and white, because when you mentioned that, I also remember the shot of when they're torturing Shelly, who's the guy that stole the money from them oh, yeah. that they've retrieved. Oh, there's, red. Yeah. There's the red and the white in the bathroom. The bathroom is always, it's really, really white, but it's always getting blood over it. Yeah, and, well, I think we could say that there's a general attempt to contrast those scenes with blood and yeah. the red with it's with cool white or style. just other things that make red stand out which definitely could have a point just to, to really emphasize the blood itself you know to, yeah. to emphasize the it violence looks really almost. Pretty. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because it's like visually it's very stunning but it's also it's blood it's kind of violent and grotesque because there's yeah. a lot of damage happening to these people in order for that blood to be there. So Yeah, I wouldn't go too too deep into it. I'm not a color expert. I was wondering like what color Violet's dress is that she gets into. It's, uh, it's red. It's like a dark red. It's like, probably it's all red then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well red a dark red is a very femme fatale sort of yes. color, of course. And her um, lipstick is awesome in this movie. Yeah. I wanted to get back to that the thing you said about the the planning intercutting scene. Oh yeah, go for uh, it. You mentioned this last yeah, time and it um, was awesome. 
this is one of those things where you can really still tell it's a Wachowski movie, I think, because they plan their whole heist, how it's going to go. You know, it doesn't all go according to plan. No, it does not. But uh, you see about. most of the beginning of it go according to plan, and it's it's intercut with them planning it. So you're seeing... While it's happening. Yeah, it, it starts with the planning. So at first you just think, oh, they're going to explain what's going to happen, and then you start to see what's happening. And this technique, technique is sometimes used in heist uh, a lot. to demonstrate what the plan will be. Yes. But in this instance, it is actually what does happen so you're just yes. seeing both parts of the timeline at once yes you put it as you as you put it when we watched it again you said it's concurrent 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 timeline two different or, timelines yeah so plot. fancy thank you uh which is just it's not a technique the Wachowskis came up with but it is one they love and they do it in the matrix too. yeah they, they do it in the, the matrix reloaded it's almost the exact same thing it's just a plan that is... It's like a, a plan with a voiceover. Yeah, a plan with a voiceover. them planning it while it's actually happening. There you go. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, like, when Corky's like, you're going to pour him a drink. Like, obviously, she is pouring him a drink. And she's like, then this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And it's fun because it's like, oh, wow, they did a really good job planning this out. And it's all going literally according to plan yeah. as she's saying it. And then it, it's just goes... And becomes a shit show. <laughs> there is a, also a similar sequence in different ways in the opening of Speed Racer. Yes. We'll not get into all of that now yes. because it's they just, have their own episodes. Yeah, but it's just something it's they like to, to do. And yeah. of course, that sort of playing with what's happening when and basically not shooting the story as linear all the time is obviously something that would that would lead to... Wachowski's wanting to make a movie like uh, Cloud Atlas, which is just six completely different times happening all at the same time. Uh, So it's it's easy to see the beginnings of that sort of desire to make that kind of storytelling. Which is funny, because you mentioned that in Bound, I mean, it starts technically in in media res. That's true, I always forget about that. Yeah, it starts with Gorky tied up in a closet. And then you hear like all these voiceovers. So if it's your you know first time watching it, you're like, what the hell is going on in this movie? And it's technically a flashback. Yeah. Which is insane because there's kind of layers upon layers of narrative timelines happening, but That's it's all technically a flashback. Interesting because uh, I do forget about that, and I think partially it's because I don't think it was necessarily needed. Mm. I'm guessing they put it there just to really grab you at the start, so you know things are gonna. Uh, get worse. Yeah, I think um, it also helps pull focus on Corky. That's true. That, well, that's also interesting because when I she's not really in it as much as you would assume. I guess that's true for a while. There's a lot of Violet. Uh, I was sort of thinking when I watch it, I just think of them both as equal main characters. Yeah. I don't really prioritize. But prioritize in terms one. of screen time, Violet definitely yeah. gets more. But the way that the script is written and the way it starts there with the the framing device, it seems like it's meant to sort of lead you to think of, of Corky as the main character, actually. Yeah. Because, well, Violet it also gets uh, banged up, but uh, the flashback is not from her perspective, no, you know. They specifically Corky. chose Corky for some reason. I think it makes sense. Uh, I mean, she's the one plotting everything. It does. Well, that, that fits and into my It also, yeah, which ties idea, into what you're going to yes. talk about. But yeah, she's <laughs> the one plotting, and then she's the one having trust issues. And she's the one that's kind of the outsider introduced to this world, so it makes sense it's coming from her perspective, which is very noir. Yeah. Um, well, just, yeah, I, uh, that makes sense as Corky is sort of in the place of, you know, like the detective yes. in, a, in a noir story, even though she is also, she is the criminal. Yeah. She's the one that sees the shady stuff happening and then is actually oddly drawn into it by the character who you would think would be the uh, more innocent one, I was yeah. going to say, because cause she's not a criminal. Yes. Uh, Violet isn't a criminal. Technically. Uh, and yet she's the one that's trying to convince Corky, who has done stuff like this before, mm-hmm. that they should try to pull off this heist. Which is just fun because it's not like a reversal of the normal way of doing things, no. or is it straightforward? It's just all mixed up where the detective person Mm -hmm. the the protagonist in the sort of noir story is being seduced into things as is typical Mm -hmm. but she's also the the one who actually isn't naive or or presents herself as not being naive. She appears the most confident because it's in her skill set. She got in trouble for stealing for you know theft 
and then she's the one planning the heist so you would think I know we talked about this earlier uh, before we started recording Corky appears to be like the more confident and control one when you first meet her she's the one that seems to kind of have her shit together mm-hmm. but the reality is is it's kind of actually Violet who is probably I don't know how I'd want to word it well, I'd say Violet, Violet is the more determined one yes. really she, she's the one that uh, has she's no hesitation actually gets stuff basically done. yeah and she also yeah she's presented I mean she looks like that sort of femme fatale yeah. figure but she well I mean traditionally the femme fatale obviously is secretly quite insidious and and confident and you know has things going on underneath but it's a bit different since she is not the antagonist she's just generally the one anyway outside of that framework Mm -hmm. that you would think would be the contrast to Corky's more confident exterior the the violet would be really I mean mostly just because of how she presents herself and looks like the weaker more naive one but she is not, and of course they do talk about that in yes. the movie. There's a whole scene it's about like that. Favorite. I know you like that scene. I you have can a talk about favorite that scene. scenes we could talk about. We're just kind of all over the place right now. I guess, yeah. I think Violet is actually the more I watch it, the more. I mean, I liked her from the beginning, but she definitely has like one of the best roles in the entire film, just because I think her and Caesar, both of them get underestimated, and they underestimate each other, based on you know certain tropes and expectations with the film like the noir setting so when you meet violet you think you know femme fatale but also the innocent damsel in distress that wants to get out where in the reality is when shit goes down and everything's going wrong she's the one that's always getting everybody out of the situation without getting caught yeah and Uh, she is the one at the end that actually kills has to take charge and kill caesar you know in a sense she's the one that, that grows more Yes. Yeah. But it's just, it's funny because it's like they're always underestimating her. Yeah, it's almost like it's not growth necessarily. She says all along that she is like this. You just see it happen. Like, she she knew she could do all this stuff the whole time, but you didn't know yet. Exactly. (laughs) She works everything to her advantage. I was thinking about the casting of her. Yeah, Yes, so the casting for this film... Gina, who plays Corky, was originally supposed to play... Violet. Oh, no, that's the other way around. Take this back. Jennifer Tilly was excited because she was originally cast as Corky. They had a really hard time casting the two female leads, and I believe it's probably because of the sex scene. They just couldn't get any actresses to come on board and fully agree. So did the, they not cast Gina so, until the switch had already occurred? Yeah, pretty okay. much. They, like, they found Gina and... Jennifer Tilly agreed. She's like, actually, yeah, she's a much better suited for this. Um, so I'll play Violet. Yeah, and that's it's interesting because it's very hard for me to imagine her playing anybody else. Her playing Corgi. Yeah, well, they're both. Uh, that's like what we mentioned before. They're everyone's so perfectly cast. Yeah. Well, I think just it's hard for <laughs> me not to to notice the the casting works so well because I was fooled too basically the first time I watched the movie I've never seen Jennifer Tilly in anything mm. before and just it's just her voice more than anything yeah you know, she kind of has like she has Marilyn, a very distinctive voice yeah Marilyn Monroe breast Marilyn Monroe voice. voice that kind of works to her advantage because you have men who are very mm-hmm. protective of her and uh, she's very alluring I definitely started thinking uh, okay this you know this quirky character seems pretty together mm-hmm. like she's our protagonist I guess and like I know Violet will also be important but at the start it seems like it's you know she must just be much yeah. less capable just because that voice in particular uh, you know she just seems like she would be that kind of character at first and so when she proudly uh, proclaims that she is not and that she is capable and that she's much smarter and Corky thinks uh, it was almost like she's talking to the audience to me directly yes. and I sort of I still Nobody believed you could say her yeah I wasn't fully convinced actually, like yeah. now that I've seen the whole movie I just think like oh she's she's really cool the whole time you know she knows what she's doing but I definitely didn't think that until I had seen the whole thing a couple like of times, she, it's yeah. like she had to prove herself yeah. <laughs> to me she's yeah she's probably like my favorite character <laughs> um, yeah i mean she she might be well joey pants joey you pants. know is 
Do you want to talk Joey about Joey Pants? Joey Pants in his debut lead uh, role for film, uh, which Gina brought him on, apparently. She recommended him to the Wachowskis. Very good. Yeah, match made in heaven right there. <laughs> he also has a fantastic kind of tragic Shakespearean almost role. Yeah, so if you don't know, you know, we love Joey Pants. We love Joey Pants. But... We are also focused on him because he has worked with the Chowskis mm-hmm. three separate times. Yes, uh, which is like not an uncommon actors. thing. Yes, yeah, uh, but thing. he is he is one of the more prevalent ones because he has such a big role in two of their different projects. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's so great. we love him. Continue. Yeah, with your Caesar Joey is uh, interesting because he's very tragic uh, in the sense that you know he's kind of a low-level thug in the mob. And he hates Johnny, who is the the mafia boss's son. And Violet and Quirky kind of use that to exploit him. And it's a lot of their, you know, heist planning hinges on his reaction to believing that Johnny has stolen the money from him. Mm -hmm. And so they just work under the assumption that he's going to have to run or, you know, so they can get the money Pretty much, they didn't assume he was actually going to get angry enough to kind of go on this killing spree. Yes, which and which ruins everything. Which ruins everything, but it ends up working out. But I just find it interesting that, you know, Caesar is always kind of underestimating Violet. Yes. And Violet, when she's explaining to Gorky, like, hey, I want to get out. And they're explaining Caesar's dynamic within the mafia. Like, oh, how does Caesar react with this person? How is he with this person? She always says, like oh, you know, they're not really afraid of him. Why not? Well, she's like, I don't know, but it's probably because they don't know what he's capable of, and I do. Yeah. And yet, even with her saying that, (laughs) they still underestimate him. Yeah, I think that's probably the most interesting thing about his character is just that he also is smarter than you think. Yes. Uh, When he... I think interestingly, the the big moment is not not when he discovers their plan, mm-hmm. because that's more of a coincidence. He uh he finds Viola on the phone yeah. to Corky, so he knows something's going on. I mean, anyone could figure that out. Yes. The part that gets me is uh earlier than that when you can just tell things probably aren't going to end up going well. Yes. Because he uh he's almost too smart. He says I mean, he's just generally paranoid. You know, he doesn't know Corky's involved. He probably thinks it has something to do with one of the other members of the mob. But he, uh, part, part of the plan, you know, Violet uh, has to drop and shatter this uh, scotch. scotch bottle so she can go out and buy a new one and uh, let, and let Corky, Corky into the apartment. And, and uh, the very quickly, Caesar finds himself questioning her and saying, yes. uh, you know, maybe you dropped the bottle on purpose. And you let Joey in. And that's Joey one thing. In. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't have the details right. but it, And he doesn't actually get convinced that that's what happened then. But it's instantly a hitch in the plan because they never even considered that he wouldn't buy it, essentially. Yeah, I also think it's interesting because when you first officially meet him, he's already very paranoid and suspicious of Violet. And you take it as, like, he's overprotective and jealous, which is true to an extent, but I think that's the assumption. But he's actually very paranoid. When you first meet him officially, because they, you know, Corky sees him and Violet in the yes. elevator the first time, but when he actually, you know, talks to her and gets introduced to Corky, it's after Corky and Violet are having a romantic encounter <laughs> yeah. because Violet is seducing Corky. And he comes home and interrupts in a very worried, angry Yes, manner. angry. And he's like, yeah. Oh my god, what is this? Like as- assuming the worst and it's the same thing where the assumption is actually correct. He just gets the details wrong because he is, assumes that Corky's a guy and that she yeah. turns around and he's like oh my god I thought I can't believe it I'm so sorry and like they get away with that yeah basically if he but he's would cons- if he had been considering the possible scope of her being a lesbian yes then he probably would have figured it all out like yes. the only reason he doesn't is it's because that's too far out for him to even have considered yes which is funny because he doesn't consider it and then Mickey who's kind of like the brute force behind the mob who comes into play later doesn't consider it like he clearly has feelings for Violet as well and yet it's the only one in the mafia who's aware of her sexuality is Shelly and she's like oh Shelly knows what I am he saw me at a bar with a woman like but the thing is is like he doesn't even care like they despite him knowing this information about her 
he still wants to run away with her. I think partially that maybe is meant to indicate just how spineless Shelly is, too. Like he knows this information. Mm-hmm. That could be kind of a big deal. She knows he's not going to do anything with it. Yeah. And also, he still wants to try to get her to run away with him. Yeah. He's just sort of grabbing on to anything he can, even when it's not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> But it's interesting because none of them have this information about her. If they do, they're not using it to their advantage. And she's actually using it to her advantage to get Mm. out of the situation. I just wanted to say about uh, Caesar. Yes. Uh, Well, I do think that, yeah, he's smarter than we think, which is interesting. On the whole, this this is maybe the most important bit of casting. Just because... Although that is interesting about him, I would say on the whole, Violet and Quirky are more dynamic characters. They're, there's a lot going on. They're sort of subversions of types. And Caesar is much more of a direct type. You know, he is the semi-paranoid, mostly put-together mafia underling. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a very typical role. And that is a role that really needs someone to to be so good that it spices it up more, yeah. essentially. And he's very charismatic. Yeah, so that's yeah, it's really important for for having him in the role because you can't really keep your eyes off him like when he's really going crazy later. Uh, some of those scenes, I think before everything goes really bad, they're just very tense because you can tell he's about to blow up. They rack up the tension really well. Do you yeah. want to talk about? Do you have a favorite scene or sequence? A favorite this? scene? Uh, I know I have a couple. <laughs> I'm not sure. You know. The first time I watched it, and I remembered watching it again and thinking, there were a few scenes that were slower, and I preferred getting through those to get to my favorite parts. But we've watched it a few more times, and mm-hmm. I really don't think I feel that very much. Maybe at the very beginning or something. I really, I know, I know you've talked about your favorite. Uh, you can talk f- about that. I have a favorite line, but I also have a, a favorite scene. I think my favorite scene, because it stood out so much when I saw it initially, is when the cops come. That's a good scene. Um, just because they do a really good, almost kind of like Spielberg buildup of tension. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what happens uh, at this point in the movie, Caesar has killed <laughs> Johnny and Gino and the rest of the mafia guys and is freaking out because the money's gone and he thinks he's been framed and now he has the added problem of killing these guys and now he has to figure out what to do with the bodies and he has to try and find the money. Problem is he shot these guys and someone has called the police and Violet is kind of freaking out as well because that doesn't go according to plan and so she um she's like what are we gonna do the police are coming he's like just stall them so he hides the bodies in the bathroom and then rearranges the furniture in in the apartment to cover up the shattered uh, glass picture which you talked about as your favorite shot and he's like very quick on his feet he moves a rug he does a bunch of stuff but and then the cops come up (laughs) and he turns the tv on really loud and it's just like a perfect reaction to get away with murder (laughs) because he's like you know, under pressure, but still performing very well to get away with this. And the line is like, oh, they're just cops. It's fine. We can do this. And the cops come in, and the tension just, like, goes through the roof. All Like, everything could be going wrong, because one of them's like, hey, you know, we understand. You just have the TV on too loud. Don't worry about it. And he's like, oh, great. So you think, cool, they've gotten away with it. And then he's like, can I get you guys anything else? And one of them's like, yeah, I need to go to the bathroom. And you're just like, really? This is like the one? Oh, my God. The stress is very real. And then the other one starts looking at the pictures. And then he's stepping on the rug, which is, you know, soaking with blood. And they still get away with it. But, like, the tension is, like, so perfectly built. And the shots are really nicely Mm -hmm. composed. And you're just like, there's no way they're going to get away with this. And they do. I thought it was just, like, really well executed and, like, pacing and like framing and like Joey Pants just acting his pants off. So <laughs> that's yeah. one of my favorite scenes. I'd have to say my favorite scene is probably just uh, the one where um, Caesar ends up shooting the mob guys. Yeah. Because it's just so tense. And also, he, uh, you know, all this happens partially because he hates Johnny, the upstart mafia son, so much. He's like 
costume um, to just look like a dick. Yes, yes, he is. <laughs> and and you don't you don't like Johnny either. Yeah. And so in addition to being very tense, it's very satisfying when he shoots Johnny. But it's because also you're just glad Johnny's not in the movie yeah. anymore. So <laughs> we do love the actor. Yes, yeah, so that's uh, Christopher Maloney. He's delightful. Who is is very good in and many super other young. things. Yeah. Yeah, he's very young in this in this movie. That's probably my favorite scene. I mean, the first time I watched the movie, I, the best part was just the ending line when Corky asks Violet if she knows you know what the difference, difference between them is. is. She says, no. me neither. Yeah. Uh, and they drive off having accomplished completely coalesced into a two-person lesbian super team. Yes. And, <laughs> and it plays a uh, red pickup truck. Tom Mom. Jones song. Yeah. She's a lady. It's, it's just very... Uh, Stylish, you know, it leaves you feeling like, wow, that was great. You could not enjoy other parts of the movie, and you would probably still get to the ending scene and think, like, well, they really went out. Yeah, with a bang. With there. a bang. <laughs> which also, the last line of the movie ties into my favorite line of the movie. Yeah. Which yeah. is, they've started a relationship, and um, Corky still doesn't really trust Violet because she thinks that she's sleeping around with men, and. Violet's explaining, like, no, it's just, you know, sometimes you get stuck into these roles, and that's not what you want, and you want out, and she's, like, says something along the lines of, like, let me guess, you think you're just like me, and she's, like, no, I'm, (laughs) she's nothing like you, she's a whole lot smarter than you, and it's what we've kind of already touched on, Mm -hmm. like, you don't believe her when she says that the first time, but she's absolutely right, and then it's fun, because at the end, Corky kind of accepts it. That's a theme of our characters, I guess, is that uh, they are smarter then you think yes. uh, the one that is the most like you think at the start is probably just Corky, yeah. which makes sense because I guess with that opening she is more of the audience identification figure. She's your way in, and so there's less to learn about her because you're coming in through her perspective in the first yeah, place. She's most of her her changing is more to do with opening Trust. up to realizing that she doesn't know everything about Violet. But she's still pretty great. They're both great together. I thought it would probably be good, since this is a Wachowski podcast, mm-hmm. uh, just Wachow. to talk a little more about what kind of things make this uh, a Wachowski movie. Besides just, oh, you know, they they made it really well. And what I said about their particular love for non-linear editing. What what else is there that really makes this makes it? I mean, I think there are some things that are very obvious and some things that are less so. I can start with the most obvious thing I can think of, if you want, which is that you know this movie is about two lesbians, and you know, in a more broad sense, you could say it's about two outsiders, which are very important themes mm-hmm. in pretty much everything Wachowski's have ever done. Uh, almost all of their work is about people fighting against some sort of oppressive power structure, and in pr- especially to do with outsiders in terms of sexuality or gender, because you know, the Wachowskis are both transgender women. Mm-hmm. And these are themes that are in some of their movies, in particular The Matrix, mm-hmm. that, that a lot of people picked up on more later, looking back and thinking like, oh, well, obviously you can read into things this way. But Bound is the one example where I think you don't really have to do much reading in at all. It's it's very clear where the thematic concerns are. You know, this is very firmly a movie about, well, one woman who is doing pretty well for herself, but essentially trapped into a situation that is not great for her happiness because it's what she has decided to do to survive, Violet, you know. Mm-hmm. And then another woman who is who is much more openly true to herself, but obviously just trapped as has well had sort of a tricky life. Yeah, yeah be, for that reason, for the opposite reason, because she is very clear about who she is. And uh, both of them, you know, taking back their power and control over the their lives and yeah the system <laughs> you know by by killing a bunch of old white guys yeah uh, <laughs> it's just simplify it but uh you know that that is that is what it is and when you look at all their other work it's not hard to see a pattern that starts here so that's that's just very obvious yeah. stuff i think if you have something that's rather more interesting and no, less superficial I, that then. was going to be mine except more generic but when you said that it reminded me one of my other favorite details in the movie 
is when Quirky and Violet are trying to get to know each other a little bit better. Quirky asks her how long she's been with Caesar, and she says five years, and Quirky's like, five years is a long time. Um, and it's just funny, because previously, Quirky talks to the bartender, and she's like, oh, you're back, you got out of prison, essentially. She's like, how long? And she says, like, five years and X amount of months and days. Nope. I didn't notice that. Yeah, and it's just kind of fun, because one is physically been in prison for five years and the mm-hmm. other one have, has kind of been imprisoned by this relationship and they're both kind of as a result stuck in the places that they're at and they need each other to get out yeah and i think that's just fun little and, details like that and they also cool. just need each other literally like yeah. like they, they couldn't do it without each other exactly especially because they are opposites in certain ways yes. which which i think allows them to better understand the value of what one has and the other doesn't. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, yeah. So, essentially, I think you could say basically every Wachowski mm. work is about self-actualization yes. of the characters. I mean, that's what quite a lot of stories are about, to be yes. honest. But it's very obvious mm-hmm. uh, in their work in a more significant way. And yeah, never I, more I so than, than this movie where sure. these two characters both start out trapped, as we say. And they... they end up literally driving off not into the sunset but the sun will set soon and yes that's and basically what they're doing playing. you know yeah, yeah this is a a very happy sort of romantic traditionally romantic ending to an otherwise very <laughs> gritty uh, dark film at times i would i was gonna say um in terms of what makes this a wachowski film is kind of playing with genre and expectation they mm-hmm. like to do that a lot. They're big fans of very different genres. They like and anime. Tones. Tones, yeah. yeah. They uh, like mixing and kind of subverting that stuff, and I think for sure with this one, I'm not sure if this is true or not. I was going to do a little bit more research on this, but I think when they were trying to pitch it, some studios were like, yeah, we can, we'll can, we make this if you change Quirky to a guy. Yeah. And they pretty much said, it's already been made a million times. We're mm-hmm. not interested in doing that. So I think it's just kind of taking film conventions from certain genres and tweaking them more to their sensibilities and more to kind of make a statement about authority and feeling kind of trapped and breaking out and getting... It makes a distinct movie. I mean, it would probably be a great movie if one of them was a guy. But it wouldn't Uh, work the same way. Yeah, it wouldn't... And it's not like they're... Like, it wouldn't really stand out. I mean, a lot of people, yeah, have made yeah, things like that. Yeah, it doesn't feel like contrived or like some sort of gag to get people to like see the film by having it be about two women. A lot of very good directors, too, have made films like that. And I feel like one thing that was great for the Wachowskis that really makes them stand out is that they're interested in these sorts of themes, but they are operating at just such a high level of technical expertise. I mean, especially now, but even you could see back then. Oh, yeah. And a lot of outsider cinema or just, uh, you know, LGBT cinema is sort of represented more by low-key indie, you know, dramas about mm-hmm. very, uh, you know, not not the mob, essentially, yeah. much, much less exciting things yeah. and a lot of very good movies. But, you know, what I like about their work that makes them unique is that they are into you know a scene that often presents itself in sort of highbrow ways you know the the kind of movies that people feel are very important and special but they're also into just (laughs) cheap thrills you know you know that's making it sound bad but it's it's true they just like the thrill of, of movies and the action of it all and so them making this kind of movie is is more special because they're infusing it with these kind of outsider themes but they are also just people that are obsessed with action movies and mm-hmm. all that kind of thing you know they're not pretentious filmmakers despite their reputation which i think is very much that because they do like to be very intellectual and highbrow mm-hmm. but at the same time you know they just they made a heist movie that's yeah, uh made a, it's the kind of thing that isn't usually considered that way you know we uh, look at like Ocean's Eleven or yeah. something like that. It's like people really like the movie, but they're Maybe not they... like saying it's a. Yeah, well, it's it's a best picture winner. You know, no. the Wachowskis don't feel they have to make uh, Oscar bait to make movies mm-hmm. that are filled with themes they care about. Mm-hmm. They essentially made a heist movie that was fun and entertaining, but it was also really tense 
and it dealt with characters that you don't normally get to see in these stereotypical heist noir films. Yeah, which also enables the movie to not be about that. Yeah. Uh, because almost, you know, I'm sure they do it intentionally, especially at this point, but it doesn't even feel like it has to be intentional that they don't make the whole movie about their sexuality. Yeah. It's just that the Wachowskis are so into <laughs> the other parts of it, the mm-hmm. heist part, the, the thrills, mm-hmm. that it doesn't even necessarily occur to them to, like, you know, they, they chose to make it about these two lesbians, and they also wanted to make a heist movie, and they stuck those things together, and, and there really isn't time. on one another. Yeah. Yeah. There, there isn't time to spend the movie, like, you know obsessing over one aspect of it 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 has to get on with the plot sort of and that is something that can be lacking you know a lot of movies that contain characters like that are purely about conflict that arises from that and while certainly that is an aspect of bound it is not where the main conflict comes from the main conflict is just because the mob is a a dangerous place you know yes trying to think anything else you want to say is there anything else you particular no i think it's just important that they brought on a consultant for the sex scenes because they wanted it to be done right yeah and i think it was actually one of the big praises of the film when it officially came out they did a nice portrayal of a lesbian relationship yeah. you know as much as it can we can be use this bit. <laughs> yeah but essentially it's like uh, the other thing that we were kind of playing on i don't think they're they're using like it as a gimmick they sincerely wanted to no. make a good effort to portray the, this relationship that's why I was embraced more. Yes. I think. I mean, because it is very easy to think of a version of this that feels more exploitative. I mean, yeah. <laughs> two hot lesbians yeah. go on a heist mission is is not exactly a concept that is is hard to imagine going very wrong. Yeah. Especially in the hands of well, you know, as they would have been perceived at the time, shall we say, two two male directors. Yes. Which probably would have given some people pause. So. Yeah, they they hired this this consultant for the sex scenes that definitely makes it feel more comfortable. You know, you don't feel like they're going to mess it up. Like they went yeah, through the effort of taking it very seriously and yeah. wanting it to be done right, which I think And there's only one appreciate. big sex scene, you yeah. know. And as soon as the actual plot kicks off, you know, they don't take time just to go into some more exploitative uh, sex scenes yeah. just for kicks. It's there because it's important for relationship, and yeah. then the movie moves on to other yeah. things. True. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of other stuff. <laughs> oh, the Wachowskis love their phones. They do. <laughs> I kind of miss corded phones. They're just so so much more aesthetically pleasing. It's true. They were great for phones. filming down the lines. Oh yeah, the cord <laughs> scene when she's calling her and it follows the cord and loops around. This is a very obvious connection to the Matrix as well. Yes. And I mean, really. Are there other phones in, in their other movies, really? I don't think so. Well, that's partially because, as you say, the corded phones not so much a thing anymore. Yeah. Harder to do also, that. Also, they, st- they stopped doing, um, like, original work for a little bit. Like, they were doing yeah. adaptations. Yeah. So, I don't believe so. But one of my favorite gags is actually... Oh, I think it's so cool. It makes me angry. I didn't come up with it. Is when Caesar catches Violet on the phone talking to Corky or Corky freaking out, and uh, I'm gonna have to say that again because I just called her Corky. <laughs> no, that's how Violet says it because she has a interesting a, a, voice. a voice that changes yeah. K's into G's. Yes, it's true. <laughs> um, no, so Caesar has just caught Violet contacting Corky, and he's like, "Who are you calling? Did you call Mickey? Who's like the big?" you know, muscle of the mob, and she's, like, freaking out, and he gets very aggressive and angry with her, and grabs the phone and hits the redial button, and Corky picks up, and each time she does this, I always yell at the screen, I'm like, unplug the phone! He's gonna be able to trace it, even if you don't answer him. So, she answers the phone, doesn't say anything, hangs up on him, he redials it, and it's this, just this, like, beautiful, tense scene, where he's waiting for someone to pick up the phone again, and you can hear the ringing in the apartment next door. It's like such a great reveal. I love it. Yeah. It's a really good use of visual storytelling, I suppose. Definitely something that wouldn't go quite the same way now. No. Probably. I mean, certainly we have ringtones still. Yeah. But that particular sort of thing where the yeah. noise he's hearing could only be coming from one right. place, which is yeah. the phone. 
uh, is is sort of a 90s Yeah, and then she like rips thing. out the phone cord yeah. from the wall, and it's too late. I just like that. Very ni- very 90s movie very in general. 90s. Let's say yes. you know. Yes, indeed. Uh, which is, I mean, I think the Wachowskis—they just love the 90s. They they, they belong do. there. They love anyway. leather. We haven't they even do. They talked about leather. how much they love leather. They love leather <laughs> and bound. They love it in the Matrix, yeah. and you know. I'm sure they love it elsewhere. Yes. <laughs> to think about Agreed. it. But yeah, their their style and their music choices, you know, it's often very rooted in that decade and the obsession with with tech mm-hmm. and the and internet kind of and yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. Of that era, yes. I don't know how to wrap this well, up. About Do right to wrap to it up? No, no, I don't know. I would say you should see Bound. If yes. you haven't, which you really should have, you really should you're now, but because uh, we spoiled it for you. Yes, it's very good, as we have learned. Even when you have just watched it, it's very fun to watch again. Yes, it is. Just because it's well put together, and because it is a vision moon movie, you know, yeah. it's not gonna it's bore you tight. really. It it's just a very tight storytelling. It's not very long. It does what it does. It finishes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm always almost surprised that even though I know that they don't leave the apartment for most of it, mm. because it just feels like something else must happen and yet it all just keeps happening in the apartment and then it's over and mm-hmm. <laughs> you're out yeah i think that's why i said it felt like a play to me because yeah. it always seems to be contained in like one space even though it technically isn't i mean you feel like you could totally do it as a play <laughs> that'd be cool the hell out of that you can. um that'd be great but this is the last gasp for the wachowskis sweet naive incarnation as low budget yes. filmmakers and after this we're moving on to some much more explosive entertainment, Mm -hmm. often literally. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And there's probably an explosion in all their films. I mean, I think that's true, actually. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, We'll compile. So uh, join us next time for a discussion of one of their least popular and least known movies, The Matrix. Yes, first one in a trilogy. (laughs) Who knew it was a trilogy? Oh yes, uh, the there's only one though, and it's too bad they never made any sequels. Am mm-hmm. I right? Uh, that, well, I like them, so yeah. I refuse to make that joke. <laughs> Harsh. Uh, <laughs> okay. All right, we should sign I'm off. Good. Yeah. This has been Grumpy Octopus presents Wachowski Watch. We will be talking to you guys soon. I'm Vicky. I'm Camden. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Ciao. Get it for Wachowski. It's okay, we can edit that out. No, we're not going to edit it out. (laughs) If you guys liked our show, please let us know. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And also feel free to contact us on our main website. That one is grumpyoctopusproductions.com. Then I'll link you up to all of our social media. You can follow us on Twitter and or like us on Facebook. And you can reach out to us at our email account. That is grumpyoctopusproductions at gmail.com. I think we're sensing a bit of a trend here. (laughs) Um, Also on the website, you guys can check out all of our episode and production notes and fun little extras as well. So, as always, thanks for listening, loyal listeners. Alrighty, signing off.